0: This job market is starting to look familiar in a way to me.
1: Not in a good way. (laughs) Not in a good way. I'm Margaret Kelsey. I am Devin Bramhall. And this is Don't Say Content, created and produced in partnership with Share Your Genius.
0: Huge shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. Thank you so much. Thank you for believing in us early on, supporting and
1: making this podcast come to life. And if you, dear listeners, are thinking about bringing an idea or your brand to life and scaling it, I'd recommend having a quick little convo with our favorite people at Share Your Genius. This job
0: market is starting to look familiar in a way, to me.
1: Not in a good way.
0: <laughs> not in a good way. Well, I think it's good in terms of getting talent to be talented again mm-hmm. and normalizing salaries a little bit more and increasing productivity. But that's not – we've already talked about that. Yeah. What's interesting to see is people have to try to get jobs again and they are struggling and particularly in the marketing category, I, f- I feel it is challenging because you are bridging this gap between
1: creative production and measurement. Yeah. I was going to say technical acumen, but it is, it's more of the ops and measurement. Right. And so how much on your resume, for example... Are you
0: saying, talking about outcomes versus things you produced? And this is probably one of the biggest, the most frequent edits that I make to other people's resumes who are going for anything management and above, because the thing that got you to management was an ability and talent to produce and have creative ideas and then execute them. Immediately after that, you have to be able to report on outcomes
1: you generated using other people, not yourself. And Ideally, if you're doing it right. Some people are still doing it with a lot of themselves. But yes, if you're doing management right, yeah, it's based on the work of your team. Right. So saying things like, I produced XYZ
0: and created this asset, you're automatically shooting yourself in the foot for a potential employer because your role is to coordinate others to produce things that then you report on the outcomes. People talk, still talk about what they're producing and not the outcomes, which doesn't yep. position them as a manager. The other thing is they say so many things mm. at animals. I was involved in hiring for like a long time and we were, we were consistently evaluating and updating our hiring process because it's really difficult to hire creatives, which we can talk about in a second. So I have been doing this for a very long time and with a lot of different people (laughs) and I can tell you we don't read a
1: really long cover letter. I know. I know the cover letters are kind of the worst. I think it's more pat, like you're not. I don't want to say pattern matching, but it's more like you you look at the resume and match it up to what your own understanding of what you wanted for the role is, and whether how close that person is, and if the outliers are acceptable outliers or if they're messy outliers. Yeah. But, but Devin, I think this is the thing too, like it's hard to make that leap from individual contributor to manager. It's hard to talk about when you're manage- managing what the outcomes are. I think the other thing is, especially on the earlier stage of startups, what I'm advising founders to do is to look for more generalist marketers because everything is changing so quickly. And I think there's some people who are entrenched in their specialty and want to talk about how special their specialty is. And that might be a problem too, because with the rapid changing of everything all of the time, particularly in marketing, go-to-market channels, whatnot, consumer behavior, even if it's a B2B, it's still kind of consumer behavior. I think that... More marketers should be generalists. And then once you understand what actually is working, then you can staff a team of specialists in, in that channel or in that thing that's working. But that's a big switch that I'm seeing, too, is people, whether they've, they've recently been laid off or left a job, they put together their resume and talk about how specialized their skill set is. And I'm like, oh, no, give me a generalist, a scrappy generalist every day of the week
0: that you're actually, it's funny, you're the third person that said that this week to me. I was talking to Alex at Omniscient about this yesterday. And so we were talking about people and jobs. And he brought that that very thing up about how people are complaining about having to be generalists. Mm. And I, we looked at each other and I said, Being a full stack marketer was table stakes. Yeah. 10 years ago. Like, we used to have to code a little bit, design a little bit, be really good at email, be really good at social,
1: write long form content, do strategy, no SD, like, even a little bit of product marketing. Publish the content, distribute the content, turn the content into an event series, show up to the event, fold t shirts at the event. (laughs) Pour coffee at an event. Like, I don't know. You just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Design the stickers. Put the stickers in guerrilla marketing places at the event. Like, just do it all. I did literally all of those things. (laughs) And I've seen you do it too. I was thinking about, I literally, at Envision, we had a booth at Adobe Max. And we were leaning really heavy into the brand play around craft and design and well-executed products and that sort of thing. So conference coffee sucks. So we did pour over coffees at our booth to the point where like people were like, so you're a coffee company. We're like, no, but I literally learned, like I got taught that morning on how to like do a proper pour over with the measurement and the temperature and the whole thing. And then for like three days straight, I just poured coffee at this conference. (laughs) It was exhausting. It was so fun, but it was also exhausting. And now I make a mean pour over. So yeah. Now I'm coming over for life pour skills. Over. Yeah, life skills. I had to make
0: pour over coffee when I went to Montauk recently because that's all they had in the motel room. I had to look at a blog post.
1: <laughs> I was like, what do I do? The trick Just is like the water can't be totally boiling. It's like below right. boiling is the correct temperature to not yeah. make a burnt cup. Yes, yes.
0: That was the other thing that Alex and I were talking about. We were like, that was fun. Yeah. I had a blast. Like, I loved. Learning new things. I loved that I learned how to code. Not, I didn't really learn how to code, but I learned how to do enough
1: like, oh, I can do HTML tags all day. Same. P tag slash P tag. And you could like make and paragraphs stuff. and p tags. Oh my God. Cause that was the only way to make a blog post. Cause
0: anytime you yeah. like copy paste it in, all that extra like gobbledygook was in there. So you'd yeah, go, you would go into the,
1: the WYSIWYG versus the code yeah. snippet and you would see that it was just like ruined. Yeah. And, and, and SEO, like Google, cared about clean HTML oh, yeah. copy in your content. Gosh. Yep. Remember back then? I know. I one
0: time had to like open the terminal. And oh. make a blog cat post in, like, a terminal. And I was like, I still actually don't even know how to say the words right. Yeah. Because I had, like, a bulleted list. This was at, at Help Scout. The way they ins- they used Jekyll for some reason and refused to give – as well, oh, this was also a thing. Startups used to refuse to give marketers CMSs that was, like, against their DNA. Or it was, like, so custom it was unusable and you had to code the blog post. And you had to do, like – you had to click your heels three times, like – do a backflip and like rub your belly and tap your head
1: to but like never hit the back <laughs> Like just don't. <laughs> You're literally like messing with the live site. Please don't hit publish.
0: <laughs> and they were like, it was always some, you know, like product tech CEO's like, well, it has to be this way for some reason. Or like You know you're wasting so much money doing it this way.
1: Well, we just learned. I don't know. We learned and we were were pretty quick and proficient at it, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of fun working with like the
0: developers and designers because you learned more. You understood a little bit more behind the scenes, which then helped you be more creative. I started going to them saying, hey, can you make me these three different forms of embedded CTAs? Like one with image. Can you make one that has a moving like a GIF in it? And then I could just copy and paste those chunks of code and experiment with stuff, but I wouldn't know to ask for that or that it was a chunk of code unless I had to put that chunk of code, yeah, in there, copy paste so, it in there, yeah. So all of that is to say, <laughs> being a marketer and being a generalist is actually extremely valuable, and it does allow you to specialize. There was one point where I specialized in email marketing just because that's what the company needed. I specialized in event stuff. I spent like. And I think it made me more strategic mm-hmm. or like not strategic. It helped me have more clever ideas, I guess, because I'd worked with different parts of things. It helped me manage teams better because I knew what you knew how long
1: needed. that email really takes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You're like, and I could edit it. Like, if yeah. you, you know, because everyone knows manager, like, there's a point in marketing where like, it takes a while before you're actually completely out of the weeds. And so you need to be able to go in and look at that code and level your team up and help them see how to clean up even the email HTML, right? You need to tell them like you know, you could you could help your
1: team for a while. Yeah. Until they got better than you and then you're like hallelujah show me the way. Oh, that's like me with, I feel like demand gen right now. There's so many new tools, like Sixth Sense and all these other ones that I kind of go a little cross-eyed at. And I'm like, just hire really well for those ones. Yeah. Just find somebody that seems pretty good. I just did that
0: with a client. I was like, we hired for a, a demand gen lead. Yeah. And I was like, they seem smart. <laughs> they seem like they got it going on. Yeah. Who are sort of coming up
1: in their marketing careers. And yeah. So really what's talented- your... It sounds like you're, I I don't want to preempt this, but it sounds like you're on the precipice of giving really good advice based on the folks that you have been coaching right now. Yeah. Drop it to us. (sighs) Give it to us.
0: This is such a sultry (laughs) podcast. So one is, there were two things that I've seen around the resume. One is putting the kitchen sink in there, thinking that you need to make it two pages and include things like your education your awards it's almost like they think they need to prove every accomplishment they've ever had and we don't read that um we also don't read every job you've ever had because linkedin and so it's like highlight the past like one to two maybe three jobs if you have to and go deeper into what you accomplished there. And that to me is a richer resume. Link to your work. Mm-hmm. Show me wherever you can. I know it's not always possible given the role that you're in, but like the kind of show don't tell, go deeper, focus the cover letter on me in a meaningful way. One piece of advice I gave someone recently was in your cover letter, offer an idea. Mm -hmm. Say, oh, I was looking at your site and I saw you do this thing and it seems like you're going, you know, after
1: this strategy, have you ever thought about X? Yeah. Oh my God. I would love that if I got, I would love a a personalized cover letter, much less a cover letter that also has a deeper level of thinking about the company itself.
0: Like don't repeat your resume
1: Yeah. and stop talking about yourself. The second thing
0: is, and this is definitely legacy from the recent salary inflation that there's been this has happened twice recently where someone was like the audacity of a salary that they saw to the point where like one of them wrote kind of a snide reply don't do that and I was like first of all that's not you like this person is amazing and like really doing the work and you know, so it was like off-brand to begin with, but I was like, "You knew everyone talks." Yeah, I can't tell you the number of people who reach out to, if if they see that they work to animals. You know, and when I was going for Help Scout, Nick went to the CEO of the job I was
1: at two jobs before, I think, because they knew yeah. each other. Yeah. Oh, back to references. God, yes are so real and so important yeah yeah i remember Sorry, jay i interrupted so you
0: no, no no it was just it was jay meadle and he was so sweet he messaged he dm'd me and he was like hey i just want you know that you know nick back channeled and i gave you a you know a, a rave review and that was one of those companies where like it was a rocky experience but i still left on good terms because i was like yeah and
1: Helps got with a job of a lifetime at that time for me. That was a career I, changer for me. Can I talk about it's not just back channel references. Somebody reached out to me because somebody is on the job market that worked um, at a company and I didn't overlap with this person. But I reached out to the people that I still know there and got a back channel reference. And then I gave a third party back channel reference to this person. And then because I had it, somebody else reached out to me about the same person and I gave that same back channel reference. It was great. It was glowing. It was like absolutely hire this person. I wouldn't be doing snotty ones if I didn't know the person. I'm yeah. like willing to do a good a good back channel, a good third party back channel reference. But like, I don't even know what you call that. But like, that is the level of depth of B two B SaaS, B two B tech, oh, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Is like even if you don't know the person and you know of them and you can get a back channel reference for somebody else that's looking for a back channel reference, like that is the layer of the depth of how much people talk. Oh yeah. And you never know who knows
0: each other. Like it is. So I almost did I did something similar recently where somebody, cause I didn't, most people didn't report directly to me towards the end. Yeah. But I knew who this person reported to. I knew that there was like, I'd remembered there was something
1: Mm.
0: and I thought, oh, like it it was to the point where it elevated to me. So I was like, oh, I better find out just in case, you know what I mean? I just wanted to make sure because it's my name too. If I'm like, oh yeah, they were great or whatever. If I don't tell the truth, that's my reputation. And if you left in a shitty way, I am not risking my reputation for you, you know, or if you like were blatantly negligent. Yeah. The positive side of that is even if you didn't do a great job, that doesn't necessarily mean that if someone backchannels, they're going to give you a bad review. There are people who I've seen a lot in and seen where their shortcomings were and said, listen, here's where they need to be coached up, but here's where they're really strong and their attitude. It's always about the attitude. If you had a good attitude and you cared and you tried, then I'm going to sell you even if you weren't like great
1: yeah. yeah and I think that's it's important to it's important to differentiate it's not I feel like back channel references aren't hire this person not hire this person what it is is like let me give you a full picture of this person so you can have a better understanding if that those are the strengths and the weaknesses that you're willing to take on yeah. because like in our other episode whatever episode that was we talked about like we're all just muddling along. We all have room for improvement. We're all getting better, hopefully, year after year. And this was one back channel reference that I gave too. And when I was talking to the new hiring manager, I was like, I actually think this person would be a great fit for your personality. because. But like this person got in trouble at their last role because of this thing that I actually think that you would be able to coach and manage really well. Good back channel references aren't just like go, no go. It's really like, this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. This is my understanding of the situation, even if I'm slightly removed from it. Like, do you want to take that on or not?
0: Yeah. No one's ever asked me, should I hire this person or not? And well, usually that's also... I hate to say it, but usually if they're asking me there's something it's they in the know, back know that of their they kind of they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. No, they're oh. asking me because they're like they're asking me for more color. Yeah. Because they have a spidey sense.
1: Yeah.
0: And they like Well, that's like, actually mm-hmm.
1: that's my favorite question to ask when I'm trying to get a back channel or a reference or a back channel reference from somebody is instead of saying, should I hire this person? I make it sound like, because usually at that point, you're ready to hire. Like by the time you're doing a reference, like a real reference, maybe not a back channel, but like a solid, like going to call somebody up. I think the most useful thing is to actually get that level of conversation that we're talking about, which is like, give me the holistic picture. But so many people that are giving references are worried that they're going to mess it up. Mm -hmm. And so they won't give you, they'll just be like, they're wonderful. The sun shines out their butts. They've never done anything wrong in their whole life. And that's the thing that I have actually found to be really useful is, is you are talking about the fact that you're going to hire this person, but as their hiring manager, you want advice from them on how best to make sure that that person can be successful. And when you frame it in that way of like, how do I make sure Devin is successful In her role as I'm managing her, then that manager starts to talk about, oh, well, in our performance reviews, in our one on ones, we've been coaching on this and in our performance reviews, we've been talking about this. and You get so much more depth to the conversation than like, should I hire this person or not? When they're like, yes, hire them. They're wonderful. And I love them and whatnot. It's like, no, give me just like some nuggets of what I'm about to get myself into.
0: Yeah. I don't, I think references are such garbage. We didn't weight them very heavily. We just, they were at the end. We we're like, just in case. Yeah. But we hired people that you would think that would have come up and it didn't. And so we were just like, we would call like one or two people. Cause if they're going to give the reference, we were like, all right, it's just not useful. There's a waste of time. Like basically it's a waste of time.
1: Yep.
0: Ahrefs taught me SEO. It was our infrastructure at animals. Yeah. Like that was part of our like tech stack and everybody at the company used it. And I just remember growing up at startups and nobody was ever there to teach you your job. And you had to learn a lot along the way. Help Scout was where I really had to get my shit together with SEO strategy. And I was like, what do I do? And one of our growth marketers walked me through HREFs. The UI looks like it's a lot, but then you go and start using it and it's like all logic. It's all logic. Like it's all marketing logic, the way it works. And so you're kind of like, oh, you're just like giving me all the answers.
1: And it's also the fact, the reason that I feel like it feels like that is because it is so powerful. Like you literally have access to information that I had no idea that I could actually access competitors, keywords, how they're ranking, like absolutely powerful stuff in order to understand how your content and brand programs are. So Ahrefs, thank you so much for not only a fantastic product, but also sponsoring season two. Yay.
0: And also helping me achieve my first big objective at Help Scout. It was pretty important and aggressive, and it kept me in my job a little bit longer. So,
1: so <laughs> yes. thank you for Devin's salary back then. <laughs> <laughs> don't say AH refs. Say refs. Don't H-refs. say refs. Say H refs. A refs.
0: Do you want to talk about the project?
1: The project.
0: (laughs) Yes. This is so divisive now. Right now. Okay. So this is another thing I was talking to a marketing friend about. So Help Scout had a project Mm -hmm. and they pretty much everywhere I went, I think had some form of project and theirs was like, they put a time limit on it. They're like, listen, we put a time limit on it to like put guardrails on it. And so you don't go full-fledged. I wanted that job. And I did the fucking shit out of that project. I was like, I created these two Trello boards. That is not, and a write-up. Like I spent time on that and I got that job. And Animals had, we experimented with the project over time. We did like short unpaid projects. We did paid projects. We did all different types of things. And there's really no way to see if a marketer's good at that level yep. without it. Because now, like, you could probably learn a lot about, like, if the marketer's more public and they have a public persona where you can see their work better, they have a blog that they keep up to date, like, et cetera, then you can learn more about them without it. But if you need to understand someone's marketing skills, my belief has always been you need a way to see their work.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think my nuance there is like when in the process do you give a a project? I think you should align on most things beforehand and give it to like your last few folks that you're trying to choose between. I think you can suss out enough of it. I think like somebody like a creative director, like a marketing designer, I think you can see enough of their work that you don't have to do that. They usually have portfolios or you can see the brand that they used to work on and see whether or not it's high enough quality in the the assets that were being created. But I do think, especially as you get into generalist marketers, you do want to understand how they think about things, right? Are they super audience focused? Are they super like, understanding about testing and experimenting and is that built into the process is there internal comms built into the process like there's so much of that um that yeah you only get when you start to to see it in a project i think that paid projects are fantastic right i think if it's an unpaid project it needs to be time boxed to a really short period of time like you said the help scouts was where it was like don't spend more than an hour or two on this or I don't know if that's was the direction but I think that those things are important and I think paying for projects if you have the budget to do so is a really lovely signal to them that you value their work and are not gonna railroad over them if once they're in house
0: yeah I don't know I have a different I had a different experience with that because we were especially in the beginning I was like we have to pay them for their time but like The problem is you get a lot of garbage articles. And so it's actually not economical. And so it doesn't like – that's when we were like, okay. First it was like make it on a topic that we would never write about so the work is not – like they don't feel like they're giving work away. Two is like try – because I think at the beginning they had to write like – I think they had to write a full article. I don't remember. Or maybe it was an outline. I think we went to outlines. We're like, okay, just outline an SEO piece. Like here's the topic. I don't think people realize how much time we put into throughout the history of my time there, how much we put into learning from the hiring process and adapting it to try to find, to try to suss out both creative abilities or like, you know, writing, I guess, technical abilities, like writing and SEO and sort of people- abilities. Like we, I remember creating a fake company with fake, you know, and kind of giving them the criteria. And so I think I don't have that same view. It would be nice if you were asking them to create a full thing and you should. I think the time box is actually really helpful if you're giving them the right work to do in that time box. Yeah. Because we know I know what you can do in that time. Yep. And it's not about what you accomplish at the end of the day. Like if I give you two hours to do X thing, I'm not evaluating like did you get far enough along in it? I just want to see your work at all. And I can probably tease out from whatever it is that you did, really all I'm seeing is how you
1: think. Yeah. How do you think and how do you write? And it's like – then, and then, the next level of that, Devin – which was my favorite thing to do, is once you have that project, the hiring manager looks at that project, does not bring them in for like a panel review or whatever to look at the project in front of people. That's scary and terrible. Yeah. Um, unless you're, I don't know, hiring for somebody that's really important for them to, to present in fr- their work in front of people. But I've seen that happen before. The best thing is you as a hiring manager set up time with the candidate to review the project and you deliver very pointed feedback about that project and see how the person reacts and that was the best predictor of hiring somebody on that was going to be successful on my team is could I sit with them on a call give them pointed feedback about their work and see how they react to my feedback if they were like oh yeah let me take another round at it or like yes absolutely you know, I had a, you know, I didn't want to spend time there because I wanted to spend time over here, but I understand like, that's important. Like the way that somebody accepts feedback is so, so important. Are they self-aware? Are they gracious? Did they thank you for it? That was like my sneaky thing. So if you're in an interview process right now and somebody a hiring manager is going to do that and take time with you to review the project, please, 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 please accept that feedback gracefully. Yeah. We did that. It is part Um, of the process.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That was like our thing is like you to do it and then we give you one round of feedback and we want to see you incorporate it.
1: Yeah. And we, cause
0: that's, that's, I think that's also as important is not only can you receive the feedback graciously and with curiosity, but can you, are you able to then internalize it and, um, update the post to make it better? And I think that's really, that's actually really hard to do just period, so seeing how people execute that—that's such a good
1: one, Margaret. So good, and I think I my worry is like if if you're in the interview process right now, if you're listening to this and you're interviewing right now, and you think that's a throwaway call, it's not. Like that's actually part of the interview process—is to see right. how you can handle it. The being on the company side, you realize that like a mishire is so expensive. It's terrible for morale. It's a lot of time suck in terms of coaching because you want to give that person a chance. You want to make sure it's not just like your own management style. So you give that person a lot of at-bats. You give that person a lot of training. You give that person a lot of th- – so it makes sense that your hiring process is going to take a little while because at the company level, that's a very big and scary thing. They sign you up for benefits. Then you have to go If – you're going to let that person go. You have to go through a whole HR process, you know, make sure you're documenting feedback and yada, yada. So to me, it's like the person that's interviewing side too. I think you should want to really vet that company, really vet that hiring manager, really vet that thing, like take your time with it as well. And I know people are desperate and looking for jobs and, you know, need a paycheck, but I do think that there's something to be said about making sure that it's the right fit. I had a friend that used to say, desperation is a stinky cologne. She used to say that in the dating world when we were in our 20s dating. She used to say, like, desperation is a stinky clone, But it works so well in the business context, too, that I do end up saying it a lot. It's
0: funny. My friend is looking for an apartment. He was like, what did he say? He's like, is it clingy for me to follow up on this apartment I want? And I'm like, yeah, fair. Like, normally you don't want to. But I was like. In this case, like, yes, the yeah. Ye extra. Like, that actually will work in your favor. Um, <laughs> and, and I think it's hard some... to get on this apartment. <laughs> no. But I think that's true as a job. Like, I, I remember when I was a little baby coming out of college, working as a secretary at a design agency. And there was this young man who was the son of someone that the president of the company knew he wanted an internship and god bless nobody gave this kid a pass there was a point where i finally i was like hey justin how's it going he called every day like he would not leave that company alone like tenacity. tenacity i was like I gotta respect it <laughs> right and he got the internship like he fought for it and he was the one who's like has the in you know what i mean Every day, I was like, Justin, they're busy. Like, I don't remember who he was always calling for. And I was like, just, <laughs> but that does work. This was recently, I was helping a client hire some people, and I got on the call, this call with this woman. She, like, didn't even know who I was. She didn't prepare at all. I, I said, I asked her something about the job wreck, and she's like, honestly, I
1: haven't looked at it. I was, you're like, gee, she, do you want to be on this call right now or is there something else you want to be doing? And she was so casual about it too.
0: I was like, wow, like you are wasting everybody's time. Like I used to always go in and try to, you know, um, like I would read blog posts of Mm -hmm. whoever I was talking to and find like a nugget in it. Oh, this person's really likes this basketball team and try to reference it. Yeah. And the number of people who even got on the phone with me When I was at the CEO level, I was like, this is flip side, Allie Tunnel. She was coming through as a strategist and she got on the phone with me. That girl knew everything about me. She was like- Too much or? No. (laughs) Because I remember looking at her resume and I wasn't totally sold on her. I forget why. And we got on the phone and I was like, oh, she did the work. And it wasn't like flattery that got me. It was just yeah. like she knew stuff I had done. She'd watched videos. She had feedback on them, and I was like, "This
1: girl wants to work here. This woman, yeah. sorry."
0: Ooh. And she was great.
1: Good catch. Good catch. Um, <laughs> yeah, if she wants to work at animals, I guarantee you she's a woman, not a girl. If you're if you're considering hiring her, uh, that's child labor. Loss yeah. <laughs> makes it makes it so it definitely is a woman. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that there there's that's what I yeah, I think that's teasing out the desperation part. Like desperation is like you just want a job and you don't care what it is, so you're mm-hmm. showing up to calls. Desperation is not that you want the job so much that you do the work behind it. That to me just feels like you're A capable, thoughtful human being rather than like, I need any job. So I'm going to spray and pray my resume out there. Actually, you know what? When I was in college,
0: I really wanted to do fashion writing. There was this company in Boston that produced a lot of events in the city and some of which were these like fashion shopping events. And I went and wrote like three articles. One was on how hats were coming back. And I went and I like found these like three haberdasheries in Boston and interviewed people and wrote them up because I I just went there and I was like, I want to work here. Hire me. And they did. You know, no one even asked me for it. I was like, (laughs) I'm going to do this, you know.
1: Hey, Devin, do you know what the best part about our show is? (gasps) tell me we make so many new best friends that hang out with us every week it's kind of weird that we don't see them hanging out with us every week but we really really appreciate the folks that do and so if you want to be in our lives and us in your ears on a weekly basis I want you to go and find that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast and let's be friends forever and please rate and review because it really helps support the show we love you bunches
0: should we talk about David? I think that's another good example. Yeah. Our yeah. intern. Yes. So I, my old boss, Sunny, teaches at Rutgers, and he asked me to come to his class to talk one day, and I did. And as soon as we were done, one young man beelines up to the front. Like, no sooner had I looked down and looked back up, he was like right in front of me. Hi. He said, hi, Devin my name is David. Thank you so much. I want to intern for you or something like that. And I was like, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, it caught me so off guard. I was like, like, here's my email address. And it worked because then he followed up and he wrote what I loved about this actually was he was really, this is sort of the opposite of the desperation Mm -hmm. because I asked him, I said, send me an email and tell me, like, why you want to – in, or, like, what you really want to do. Like, what is your dream or something? Yeah. Because I didn't even know what – I was like, These, this is a bunch of people in an HR cor- degree. And so I wanted to kind of figure out if he was, you know, going to be someone that we could work with. And he was honest. He said, listen, I've had a really hard time finding an internship. Here's why. And he's like, you know, honestly, I wasn't a really good student in high school. I really got my act together in college and this and that. Like, he just – He was honest and authentic and not desperate at all. Like you would think by saying that, that it would come across that way, but it didn't. It was like, here's the thing, like I will do. I mean, I kind of strung him along for like a month because I was, you know, we were just getting the podcast off the ground. I was really busy finishing up a client. Like, but he stuck there and he followed up. And when it came time for us to think about it, we were like, yeah. Yeah. He just had all that energy. He's like, I'm gonna figure it out, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, we're like, yeah, we we need that energy right now. I think that is something that like I missed even in the workforce. It became so tit for tat. I will do this thing, but you owe me that. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, where's the passion? Where's the curiosity? Where's the
1: energy? Yeah. The, I think it's it's self-awareness and the desire to build something together. Right? Like that like real desire. Like, let's build this cool thing together. Yeah. And that will take you a long way. Tell me about a time that you absolutely slayed a negotiation. I don't want to say slayed. Never. Does
0: negotiation, like, I think there are people that can slay at negotiation. I admittedly am not one of them. I've just had to do it a fair amount. And I've been on both sides of negotiations, specifically on the job front. So I've been the one... Negotiating my salary at every level and including CEO, which is like a whole thing in and of itself, because it turns out there's like no, everyone will tell you there's a standard, but their standard is different. Always have equity. You don't always have equity. You base the like. So we're not going to talk about that because it's a whole, like that's a thing in and of itself. But I would yeah. say when it comes to negotiations, to me, it's about information and information is leverage. And so from the hiring person standpoint, I recall like salary negotiations. Sometimes salary negotiations are more technical than you think they are as an applicant. So we had salary bans, for example, and you create those salary bands based on experience and other qualifications right and someone could come in saying i want x salary right and it's not necessarily that we don't think they deserve it but i've been on the the receiving end of a salary that was like almost like half practically of someone who reported up into me And so it does feel bad when you go willy-nilly based on each individual applicant. Like you kind of have to have a standard and it varies on industry, location. It's never going to be perfect unless you're the type of company like Google that can just pay out the nose. But guess what happened when they did that? (laughs) Like So I would say like what I want to understand if I'm going into a negotiation is what are the standards for the industry that I'm going into? so that i can position my ask aggressively but within re- the realm of normal yeah. because it's like if you go too high as an employer i'm like shit i really want to hire this person i would feel bad lowballing them yeah lower than this if this is truly where they're used to working and i think they're good enough for that so it's like then i'm i'm going to say it's not a fit because i'm like well shit like they're out of our league yeah Or yeah, the flip is also sometimes true. We're like, okay, you don't, this is like whatever salary you got, like your talent. We even evaluated your talent on the same level. But I would say more often than not, it's like, oh shit, if you're making that, like we can't, we shouldn't. That actually happened to me twice. Two of my now friends were people who applied to animals. And I was like, I need you to know that like this says strategist, but it's like not nearly at the level of strategist that you are. So like, can I just- I'm not going to be able to pay you. Yeah. I was like, this is just like, it's not big enough for you, but can we be friends? And now we're friends. Like that happened twice to me. So, or, you know, in my span there. So I think it's like, you know, the range so that you can make, because a logical back and forth feels better for both sides and increases the likelihood that you get what you want than you being like way off base or them being way off base.
1: Yeah. Well, that's my that's my recommendation is I always try to get the company to give me the number first, the range first. And I know it's a little bit of chicken and an egg scenario, but I used to say by the time that I used to say that in like the intro calls, like, hey, let's not talk like we don't need to talk numbers until we both decide that, you know, this is the right fit. But also that I'm not outside of what I have understood as market comp, right? Like I'm not unreasonable. There are other things that are important to me outside of salary. Let's hold off on that conversation until, until we both agree that this is a mutual fit. That's worked for me before. I think times have changed a little bit where a lot of companies are trying to get salary expectations way, way earlier. But by the time a salary, by the time a job posting is live, A salary band or salary range has been approved internally. And so that's what I always rely on is like, hey, listen, if you've gotten to this point, there is a salary band assigned to this role. Can you tell me what that that band is? Oh, yeah. And and ask people. You just ask people, right? And they're going to ask you, what's your salary expectation? And you're going to ask them, well, what is the ban for this role? And then it's just you sit and you you sit in silence. You sit in silence until the other person talks. And they're going to give you the range. And then you're probably 5% more than that range that they gave because they never gave you the full range. They gave you a a minuscule part of the range so that they have leverage to negotiate above that range if they know what they're doing. So. Maybe. Or you hear the range and you say, yeah, I, I mean, I might be a little bit higher than that, but you know, I'm sure that there's other things besides just just behind, be, besides salary that's important to me. Yeah. That's not the only thing I use to base my decision on, on where and when to move. But I think the more you can hold off on that leverage until you both have agreed before you get into like the, I'm on the higher end of that band or I'm on that, like once you start actually talking legit concrete numbers, you want them to be absolutely in love with you. So that way you have that leverage to be able to ask for more money or more whatever else you're negotiating with. And I think that a lot of people maybe do that too early and come in and say, oh, I'm X, Y, Z price. That's outside of the band. And they don't have time to fall in love with you then. That is logical.
0: But my experience hiring at Animals, which is where I hired the most amount of people, was different because we ended up getting to a place where it wasted both of our times where we got too far and realized that the salary expectations were not aligned. And so we began asking folks for their like salary band expectations in the beginning as a means of filtering. And you know, if you have a good hiring process, like you leave room for outliers, right? So if someone was a little bit outside, say they were too high, but well, we looked at their experience and we're like, mm, they look good, we're interested, they seem a little high. We would just reach out and be like, okay, listen, this role is within this range. And nine times out of 10, they're like, they put a higher range than they even expect anyway. It ended up helping us out a lot. And that's not what the negotiation ended up being about. And I I agree with you that that has changed immensely. Yeah, Negotiations shouldn't just be about guesswork. You know, I've changed my view on that. I used to be with you where it's like, okay, wait, make them
1: fall in love with you. But now I'm kind of like, yeah, but you need to be honest. I think make sure that you're in the appropriate, like make sure you're still in the ballpark, but don't try to get them to give you 5% more. Like don't try to negotiate too early is what I'm saying. Like absolutely make sure that you're not wasting either time. Like if this company is going to pay you, their band is 30K and you want to make 200K, like get out of there. But Make sure you're in the ballpark, but just don't try to like land the negotiation when you're giving your salary expectation or when you're aligning on salary expectations, because there's always a little bit more wiggle room at the end. There always, yeah, we
0: would, I mean, our ranges were pretty narrow anyway. And so like we had other ways of showing growth potential in terms of like, you know, our pace of reviews that allowed for people to move faster, things like that. One thing that I remember from negotiating my CEO salary, it was one of those times where I felt like I wasn't in a good position to be negotiating it because I didn't know what to negotiate, try to do research, et cetera. But like, you know, um, Walter's like a, probably one of the best negotiators. (laughs) Like he was really good. I knew I was outmatched. And of course, like I'm always trying to angle for the best situation for myself. I remember talking with Haley about it and I was like, listen, it doesn't matter if we get what we want or not. Because I kind of, I, I actually was, I negotiated for both of us basically. I was like, and I was like, it doesn't matter. We just have to make it hard. We have to make it difficult to get to a yes. Like I kind of like, I dragged it out a little. <laughs> I, I annoyed Walter a little bit because I was like, listen, your leverage is that you know that you at the, that phase that you have more business experience than I do, that you have more CEO experience than I gonna go, Like he had a lot of the cards and he knew I wanted the job. But I also had the other side of like, he wants me to do this and he doesn't want to do this job himself. Mm-hmm. And so I had a little bit of wiggle room to like show him. And my biggest goal was like, look, I'm going to try to get what I want. I'm probably not. But I'm going to show to him what matters to me and that I'm not an easy sell. And that sets me up for later in a couple of different ways, right? It's like, he knows he has to sell me on things. He knows I'm not just going to go along with things. It takes effort to please me. And I think that was sort of like a compromising like negotiation tactic, I guess.
1: Yeah. It is weird. I feel like, and this varies probably from hiring manager to hiring manager, but I have always respected when somebody comes back for negotiation. And if anything, I almost, I don't want to say have second thoughts, but I do when I like deliver an offer and there isn't a negotiation part of it, I'm almost like, come on, you're better than that. Like come back at me. You know, like uh-huh. I had more in my tank. I had more to give you. Um, and it's a weird feeling and I'm sure, and I, this is not blanket advice because I'm sure that there's hiring managers out there that deliver the offer that they're approved to deliver and have no wiggle room. But to me, I like always expected a little sparring and I want to kind of spar a little bit. Cause I want to like, I don't know. I want to like have that experience with that that person that might be joining my team to see to your point of like how how direct are you how um how do you ask for what you need in a very unemotional factual sense and so honestly sometimes if I like hadn't gotten the pushback or the negotiation I was like oh I have a completely opposite like feeling on that
0: mostly because like of how exhausting hiring is but I always saw it as a win where it's like, if we were able to get enough information, we, I mean, look, we, were, we spent so much time working on our hiring process and evolving it over time. Like, we were very thoughtful about it and you know, got a lot of feedback. Like, we really invested a lot in it. So to me, it was actually kind of a win where I was like, cool, we were able to efficiently gain alignment with a candidate and close them. That felt good to me. I was like, this is great. Because instead of it being one of the, like a blind negotiation or even a negotiation period, it became about aligning, which is what we wanted ultimately when they came in, is to have that alignment. And I think sometimes like when you negotiate, like one or the other person can sometimes feel a little bit like, oh, we had offered someone a lot just because we really wanted them. And then you're like, if they don't perform right away, you're kind of like, eh. So to me, the alignment was the goal. Like I really loved that moment to me, that was a signal that our hiring process was working. Oh, let's see <laughs> if you... Here's what's coming up next on Don't Say
1: Content. So to me, it's like, yeah, bring your whole self to work. I'm like, oh God, don't. Yeah. <laughs> like as an employee... It's a trap. I, I do love it. <laughs>
0: as and i'm guilty of bringing more of myself to work than is
1: necessary. <laughs> this is an interesting thing, Devin. I think you you are incapable of not being yourself, right? Is that a fair assessment?
0: Okay, y'all, that's a wrap. Thank you as always for listening.
1: We'll be back next week and just remember, you're doing great. You're doing I mean, great. 30% of
0: you are doing great the rest you got to get your shit together come on
1: you know you know which side you're on this week you
0: know <laughs> you
1: know see you next week bye Bye. I don't know if you remember that from school of like the kids that got picked to be line leader or door holder those are like very important jobs I didn't go to school
0: I was oh, homeschooled yeah.
1: <laughs> oh sorry